Fitness Pro Mentors community, welcome to another episode of the Fitness Pro Mentors podcast. Today we're interviewing someone I would definitely consider an exercise titan, uh, someone I look up to as a mentor. He's an all right guy and he's a master of spinal mechanics stuff and founder of Inertia Fitness, Mr. Kevin Dunn. Kevin, how are you today, man? I'm good, brother. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. Hey, so uh, it's taken a long time for me to get on the show. You've been dodging my phone calls. I think constant harassment has led us to where we are now. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't feel bad. I dodge everybody's phone calls. That's all right, man. That's, you're a busy guy. Um, so, Kevin, I mean, I, it's funny. I was talking to some people in my little student group about you, and some people have heard of you from the past because you've been, you did a lot of stuff in a little exercise community that a lot of us are familiar with, and then you've kind of, I'd say, been nomadic, focusing on your own stuff. If you don't mind, do you mind telling a little bit of your origin story and, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. Um, so uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, back in... In the, in, in the days of yesteryear, uh, like in 1997, 98, I randomly took a job um, as, the, as a trainer at a fitness facility here in Oklahoma City. And uh, I had um, worked out for about a year, you know, before I took the job and put on some muscle mass and, uh, and, and had some personal success, knew nothing about personal training. And uh, because I was able to accomplish some things personally, they asked me if I wanted to train people. And uh, so I said, and that led to me getting certified. I was a pre-med major in school, so I was taking some science classes and, uh, and, and pursuing that interest. I, my father was a physician. My uncle was a physician. So when it came to college, I was just like, hey, I'll be a doctor. That, that, that sounds cool. And I liked all my science classes. So anyway, I started training people at this gym. And uh, this, this guy that you've probably heard of, uh, Tom Purvis, came and did some some education for the uh, for the facility that I worked in, and uh, and as far as mechanics and uh, and and trying to understand exercise, I, I was hooked. And uh, so shortly thereafter, uh, Tom asked me to come train people out of his facility, and so I did that. And then later ended up teaching for RTS, and then uh, that parlayed into my career teaching for MAT. And the rest of the rest they say is is history. Uh, somewhere in the mix there, I went to physical therapy school. Um, and I've been a practicing physical therapist ever since. Awesome. And I actually didn't know some of that stuff, but I'm not surprised Tom picked you up because, uh, uh, despite your Southern accent, you're very well-spoken, um, which is fantastic, <laughs> but I'm happy to have you here. You know, man. I always got, people used to tease me about, yeah, yeah, it's good to be here. That's right. People used to tease you. Yeah. People used to tease me about my accent and I, I, I never, I never could understand uh, why until I started hearing recordings of myself from uh, when I used to present an idea. Idea recorded the video and audio of everything, and the, the first time that I saw one of the lectures that I did for idea, I was just like, wow, I do sound like I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, if you don't mind me asking, I actually didn't know you were thinking about going to medical school. Uh, what was it about your time and tenure working as a trainer and then perhaps with Tom that had you shift directions from thinking about being a family physician or whatever specialty you were going to have uh, over to exercise and physical therapy? Uh, I just I really enjoyed being in the gym. And, you know, I had a lot of success economically early. So uh, it was very easy for me to, uh, to fill a book of business and retain it. And, you know, I, it was kind of funny. I sat down with my dad and my, my father wasn't really a guy that gave me in particular a lot of advice because I'm, I'm kind of a hard guy to give advice to. I'm pretty hard headed and like to, like to figure things out on my own. I'm sure that shocks you. 
Never but we sat down and you know, I had a young family at the time. Um, you know, I had a wife and a, and, and a daughter and uh, in college. And we sat down and looked at it. And, you know, it's a combination of things. I, the, 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 the course of going through medical school uh, is a long one. And uh, I was already doing well enough that, you know, physical therapy seemed like a better fit and a shorter path to an income as opposing to wait uh, until, you know, I was 34, 35 years old before I made my first dollar. So uh, that was kind of the, the nail in the coffin for me going to medical school. And I applied for PT school, uh, got in and kind of did that while I was starting my career teaching. And, uh, and uh, yeah, no regrets. So it all worked out, I think, for the best. That's awesome. Now, so here's the thing, and I think this is kind of like an interesting segue because I have a lot of people who've asked me this because honestly, uh, I don't have a traditional universal university or college degree uh, in exercise science. I ch chose to do a very private, as you know, invested in a lot of these private programs. I've invested a lot of time in mastering those and continuing to learn and challenge myself, and it's worked well for me. However, not the traditional route and has created some limitations for me as what I can do in the exercise industry as well as other options. I'll never be able to do research or anything like that. For you, I mean, you went from the kind of like the traditional route, I would say, from personal trainer to ascending all the way up to master's in physical therapy. I'm wondering if you could do it all over again, would you do the exact same journey or would you do something a little bit different? No, the, I would do it exactly the same way over again. You know, I, the, and that's not necessarily to say that that would be the right path for everybody that wants to be an exercise professional. Um, you know, I'm very interested in manual therapy and, and helping people overcome injuries, which isn't necessarily where most exercise professionals either should be or want to be. You know, I, I know a lot of uh, most of the guys that work here for me at my facility, with me here at my facility, they don't have any interest in helping people, you know, with acute injuries. And that's always, you know, maybe it has to do with my interest in medicine from the very beginning. Um, but I've always wanted to very much be part of helping people overcome injuries, you know, and I was an athlete that was injured when I was young. I was exposed to physical therapy. It was extremely beneficial for me. And so, yeah, that may be a unique part of my history that I wouldn't change. I don't know that physical therapy, maybe it should be, but I don't know that it is um, kind of the, the essential top tier education for people who want to participate in exercise, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. But it does seem that when I talk to most young people, it seems like that's the ascension plan that they it's that, you know, you become a trainer, you get good at exercise, and you start working with some of the worst case scenario people. Now on that same coin, yeah. and I know that you're familiar with this world. Uh, Tom Purvis's resistance training specialist program does an amazing job of helping people think about things in a very detailed way. And as such, a lot of those trainers that excel in that world work with very sensitive people. But at the same time, we see that program, not necessarily the program, but some of the people who learn more about the details, learn more about the inside view. There's this schism between being a trainer, exercise person, and then someone who sees themselves as a fixer that it gets a little sticky, it gets a little messy, and people kind of blend in from one side to the other. And I'm just wondering, with your manual therapy background and you having all that traditional education, uh, how far into helping people with acute problems, chronic injuries, and pains should a trainer go into? And do you think that that line between physical therapy and exercise personal training is just a little murky, especially nowadays? Um. I, I do. I think the line between uh, personal training and physical therapy has probably become a little too murky in certain respects. 
there's always going to be a place for exercise professionals to work with people that have physical challenges. I think that I think the the place where there shouldn't be as much gray area as there is is in the diagnosis and in the identification of the of the challenge, right? So, you know, diagnosis isn't a specific box that you just put everything in, and, and, and once you have the diagnosis of osteoarthritis or whatnot, you, you can't ever get out of that. Right. But I think the problem that I see, at least that we've run into here in my facility, is, is when somebody that's got physical challenges comes in and just takes up an exercise program, and they don't necessarily know why their hip hurts or why their lower back hurts. There's not a roadmap to navigate around that. I think that's the place where trainers referring people out to physical therapists or even primary care physicians is a really good road to go down because we see that sort of stuff here every day. And I don't know, in fact, I do know for a fact that most exercise professionals don't have the red flag screening capability and the differential diagnostic ability to, to really pilot somebody in a direction where there's pathology or an injury that even the, even the client or the patient doesn't know about. So I see a lot of a lot of personal trainers try and step in and offer those identification, diagnostic, you know, sort of treatment plan options, and I think that's an opportunity for for unnecessary, you know, problems, liability, so on and so forth. So maybe that's one aspect where you know that gap is 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 a little bit too big. There's always going to be a place for personal trainers to carry on, for exercise professionals to carry on, for rehabilitation professionals. I mean, that's basically what my business in a lot of respects is dedicated to doing. Um, but it's that initial identification or somebody comes in with a problem that they either don't know how to understand or what the underlying um, pathology is, that's where that person needs to be, you know, in the hands of a trained medical professional first before they, before they you know, kind of prattle on with, uh, with, with trying to work their way through it. Now, on that note, I mean, I think that's such an interesting thing because, I mean, it's really a lot of important stuff you've said there. So many people I know in my town, I hate saying this, but I did a lot of advertising to holistic markets at the very beginning of me getting into what I do because it seemed to be an audience that would be open to listening to hear different perspectives around exercise. As such, what I started to find is a lot of people who had holistic perspectives, so to speak, would look for pseudo alternative strategies to solving medical problems and pains and aches. And I'm wondering, I mean, is there, in your opinion, uh, any red flags that a trainer could learn about or, or source that they could learn about as to, hey, I shouldn't be treading in these waters. This is outside of my scope versus someone coming in and they got an ache and a pain and the trainer goes, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable working around this. This is within my scope. Yeah, you're going to have to kind of start back for just a second, Brandon. Sorry, you, there was uh, quite a bit of feedback. I didn't hear the first part of your question. So I got the last five or six words, but, but there was a bunch that I missed. No problem. I mean, so there's a lot of holistic people out there, trainers that market themselves and advertise themselves to holistic markets. People struggling with aches and pains as an alternative to medical providers or people like physical therapists. And as such, some of those trainers will take it upon themselves to work with people they really shouldn't be. And I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for sources of education to figure out what is that boundary of when a trainer can work with someone struggling with aches and pains versus when they should really be considering to refer out. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. You know, I, I don't know if um, the I don't know where, where the practice areas and boundaries differ between the U.S. and Canada. Um, you know, in the U.S., there are um, certifications like ACE offers a certified medical exercise specialist program. That's the only one I know of where a certification program might provide 
more insight into you know the the differentiation in that the as far as the first part of your question i think i understood it although it was kind of garbled as far as holistic practitioners you know stepping in as an alternative to physical therapists or medical practitioners you know personally i see that as as a as a as, as kind of a quality issue you know in oklahoma within the community that i work in you know there are practitioners that can serve as that first line you know, let's make sure that this isn't something like, you know, cancer or a heart condition or, you know, a broken bone. I mean, you know, we had a young man that came into my facility that was, that wanted to strengthen his wrist because he was sure and he had a scaphoid fracture. I mean, so he's got, you know, some wrist pain and some dysfunction, but yet at the same time, he's got an underlying fracture that can be kind of insidious that has to be identified. And again, I'm going to go back to that initial diagnostic thing. There's lots of people that can offer help. The problem in, in today's society is, is that there's lots of barriers to getting help. And there's lots of quality differences between practitioners. You know, a great exercise professional might be better than a mediocre physical therapist. But again, once the problem has been identified and the course has been determined to be safe, it really it's kind of up to the individual to determine which of these various flavors that they want to pursue the big problem i see is when and i don't i'd have to ask you specifically what holistic practitioner you're talking about because in my mind i go to massage therapists and chiropractors and, and so on and so forth i'm not even sure that that's that's accurate but in any capacity you know the the idea that screening for red flags and making sure that there's not an underlying problem should be done by a pt a chiropractor or a doctor I think that's the the initial thing to establish, and then beyond that, people can 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 choose the flavor that works best for them. Yeah, and to my holistic training thing, I would say like many. I know a lot of trainers that will take like a small adjunct program as like a CEC, something that teaches range of motion diagnostics, uh, FMS screening, uh, a foam rolling class, an ART CEC, something like that. And they take that and they go, "Oh, you have pain in your muscles. This ART." this will help solve that. And as such, they start to assume the role of someone who's a corrector fixer in some scenarios. And it's tough. Like I've seen it here and I hate to say this. I mean, probably like me and many others, I've worked with some people that I know decade ago, I shouldn't have been working with. And now I have yeah. the wisdom to know that. Um, but I think a lot of young people, they get this thing, ART, and they go, oh my gosh, I can make some amazing changes with people. This is fantastic. And they start working with someone and they realize very quickly one of two things. Either uh, it's just going to take more time. In reality, they shouldn't be working with them or they realize they shouldn't be working with them. So I, in my opinion, I just think there's too many things like that out there that has the trainer think that they're therapists and diminishes the medical provider role. Yeah, the, unfortunately, Brandon, I'm, I'm missing big, big chunks of, of these long pieces of dialogue. So the, I think I caught enough of that. And if I get way off base with my response, you, you tell me. Um, as far as, you know, going to a, to a certification or a program as, a, as an exercise professional and then looking to that limited body of knowledge to somehow endorse you to, to diagnose and treat pathology, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the self-recognition and, 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 and understanding sort of where you fit into this hierarchy of healthcare, I think is pretty key. Um, and man, it's, it'd be really unfortunate if any of these certifications were really broadcasting that, 
that trainers could, in particular, had enough knowledge after their certification to start diagnosing and treating injury. You know, I don't know of any personal training certification or, you know, kind of body of knowledge that, that, that tries to do that. And I know there's a lot of people that do it, but as far as educating themselves around that, they just need to study the, the boundaries of their practice act and, and, and know what is and isn't okay for them to do. I think I caught most of most of your comments there, but it. at the end of the day, that's, a, that's incumbent on the individual to understand the boundaries of their practice and know that, hey, just because I've got this cool new tool, that doesn't mean that I can step outside the boundaries of that. You know, we used to see that, you know, back in the days when we were, when we were teaching for both RTS and MAT, and you got to know the boundaries of your practice and personal trainers by and large if they're abiding by their certification there's no injury diagnosis part of that of, of, of that practice yeah did i did i catch all the elements of what you were trying to say there you nailed it and you're doing great with the i don't know what connection issues we're having here but with what you're hearing you are nailing it so i really appreciate it a lot man i'm catching i'm catching you know chunks of dialogue but then there's chunks that are missing I'm, i apologize for that don't worry about it so uh, very quickly, I mean, Charlie McMillan uh, commented something here. Let's see if I can make this fit here. And he said, if a trainer can find someone like Kevin Dunn to develop a relationship with, uh, that person can help guide the trainer in answering those types of questions around pains. I've called Kevin to ask his opinion on a few things a few times. So we know Charlie McMillan is someone that likes to, uh, to explore things, and I really love that about him. So uh, we got to find more people like Kevin's to talk to. I think the world needs a lot more people like me, but we probably don't have time to get into all the ways in which I think the world can benefit from more me's. Consistently humble. I love it. Well, this next segue, <laughs> I hope you catch all of it. And if not, we'll have to, you have to listen to the recording. I was thinking there are a few people that I really look up to in every way outside of your humility issues. Uh, and for you, you're one of them. And the reason why is I remember the first time I saw you teach a program in Denver I mean, the combination of your confidence, your delivery with information, uh, the type of information, how well you could teach, as well as you kind of always walked the walk. Like you're not just someone who's up there teaching things. Like you would always teach things that you embodied and practiced. And you're someone who really, you know, did the yellow belt, the black belt fitness professional thing. And at the same time, while doing all of that, opened a successful business with a gym with a team of people. And I think it has to go noticed how incredible that is because there's a lot of people who continue to teach. And I know for you, people who have heard you teach are really lucky to have heard you taught in different programs. But I also know at the same time, you're doing amazing stuff in your local community. So I'm hoping you caught all that. And I just want to say first and foremost, before I jump into the next thing, uh, outside of you being a jerk, thanks so much. <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome. I, I think you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, with all of that, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, you were someone that taught a lot of personal trainers. A lot of people from when I jumped into this 15, uh, 16 years ago, they knew about Kevin Dunn and people who are relatively new into this biomechanics-y small community we have, they don't know who you are. If you don't mind me asking, I mean, you're one of the most talented teachers who's not teaching. What's the deal? <laughs> well, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. I, I decided that... Um, you know, after gosh, probably more than 12, 15 years of, of being away from home and being, uh, you know, away from my community, 
that um, you know, I wanted to start piling all that energy back into 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 things that benefited me. You know, not necessarily economically, although that's important for a for a thriving business. But you know, I, I had acquired um, five, six, you know, talented individuals that that wanted to work with me, and I wanted to see what I could do to help, you know, push them along. And being gone every weekend or, or two, three times a month um, just wasn't wasn't conducive to that. So a lot of things kind of came to a head for me at the same time. You know, my wife has a very uh, successful career in and of herself. Um, so right around the same time that I was wrapping up relationships that, with people that I talked with before. Um, you know, my relationship with MAT changed pretty dramatically because fundamentally there were, there were some issues that arose, but they were just going in a direction that I didn't want to follow. And so as that culminated, you know, my business was growing by leaps and bounds. My wife's career was getting busier. Uh, my father passed away. So there was this convergence of events that sort of led to me. Uh, really taking a step back and prioritizing my time and wanting to direct my talents at things that, that A, kept me close to home, which was important, and, uh, and B, uh, that were more, I don't know, nurturing and, and influential in my immediate environment. And, and my practice, my business, my relationship with the guys that work with me, um, I've got two kids, you know, that all just kind of pushed me inward and made me want to uh, prioritize my time and, you know, getting on a plane every weekend to go to go teach classes just didn't fit into that anymore. I totally get that. And I can relate to that too. I mean, I got two kids now. I mean, the last thing I want to do, I miss traveling, but at the same time, it seems like it can make a greater impact in my local community. So uh, I get that, man. Um, now on that note, I remember visiting Inertia Fitness. When you know, was... I got to be, I'm going to be uh, a bit honest. Yeah, please. No, I think I thought I heard something there that was a trail off from uh, from from something you had started saying. So you go ahead, and then I'll follow you. Yeah, for sure. So the inertia fitness thing, I was going to actually ask you. Uh, I remember visiting your facility when it was a small offshoot facility uh, next to Focus on Fitness, and then now I've seen you've evolved into a much larger spot with a greater team. And I was just wondering if you could speak to. Um, that journey of starting off as a kind of like solopreneur and then working to developing a team and then opening a much larger, uh, robust inertia fitness. Yeah. You know, I think it's uh, I think a lot of that relates to some of the, some of the qualities you may have, uh, have observed back when I was teaching that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't get passionate about anything that I'm not, you know, neck deep involved in. And, the there has to be something although i'm not you know it, despite my my abundance of self-confidence i don't necessarily think about myself as a as a particularly successful person i'm very driven you know i enjoy what i do a lot and somehow that you know that drive that quest for for um for excellence in myself seems contagious to other people and you know at first it was contagious to my clients you know i've got you know, it's it's very very interesting i'm very fortunate to have long-term relationships with people, which is which is odd for a physical therapist. I mean, I essentially have clients that I've worked with three times a week for 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, the relationship changes and things grow and people's needs change. But, you know, the first part of it was I was by myself and, and, and what I did seemed to be uh, appealing to customers. And then it seemed appealing to a couple of customers that were young that wanted to do what I did. And so the first two guys that came to work with me you know, got swept up in that. And then I acquired a couple of people from another facility that was having some trouble. And then, 
you know, another couple of guys that I met through different capacities. So, you know, everybody seems pointed in the, in the same direction. And my business has grown very organically, you know, o- over the last 10 to 15 years. So back whenever you saw me, it's not like that was yesterday. I mean, that was, you know, I've been in my current facility for five years. Yeah. I was in a modified smaller office for five years before that. And then the very small office that was the adjunct, you know, to Purvis's facility for probably five years before that. So you're talking about a pretty long period of time mm-hmm. where this snowball has just kind of continued to pick up speed and, and move forward. And, uh, and yeah, so now, now we're here. So, I mean, you definitely, the infectious charisma and your delivery and your consistency and your own personal excellence journey. I mean, I mean, anyone that knows you will definitely have seen that no matter what, uh, you're consistently challenging and pushing yourself, which is just awesome. Um, with that being said, though, sometimes that own self egocentric excellence doesn't always extend to a great team. But what I have noticed, I don't know actually anyone on your team personally, but I have seen when I check out your website intermittently to just learn more about you, you've had the same guys with you, the same people for a really long time. And I'm wondering, are there any particular uh, values that you have around your team and the people you work with that you could share to other people thinking about doing something similar as yourself? Yeah, you know, I think the, I think the first thing is, is that, that um, you know, people have to, people have to care. And they've got to be consistent. And, you know, Charlie McMillan and I have, have kind of mused about this for forever that you don't, you don't have to be a, a tremendously talented person to be a successful exercise professional at first. You just have to show up, you know, and, and, and the, uh, those qualities of consistency and, and caring, you know, you, you have to want to continue to do the job better. But in the early stages of developing a practice, whether you're a physical therapist or an exercise professional, you got to be available for every freaking session that you can possibly be available for. And I'm not just talking about being present. I'm talking about being available, being engaged, being interested, you know, watching, listening, understanding. And so those are the qualities and the guys that, uh, that, that work here with me at my facility. Every one of these guys cares about the people that are entrusting them with their time and treasure. Um, and every one of them endeavors to, we're not always perfect, but every one of them endeavors to, to be present and available and paying attention for what, for what their clients need. And I don't know if that's a, a, an exhaustive list of personality traits, but it's, it's certainly the most important too, that you got to care and you got to, you got to be willing to show up, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you'll remember this. Uh, this was like 13 or 14 years ago, uh, you were teaching a class in Denver and you were teaching people how to use their hands to assess some different things. And I remember you stopped, people were practicing and it was your class you were teaching and you stopped the entire class and you said, listen, this has nothing to do with what you're learning, but I need you to pay attention here. If you're gonna work with someone and you stood off to the side all dilly dally and you're gonna use your hand like this and look interested, stop that. No one's liking that. You gotta look a little bit athletic. You gotta be in there. And you kinda like squat it down a little bit and act a little bit more engaged. And you pause this whole class of 100 people to show that you like, and it comes back to that, is that no matter what you're doing with your body, it needs to look like, and you need to be paying attention and be present. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I don't remember that specific incident. I, I thought maybe you were gonna hit me with the, uh, with, with the why are you screwing things that don't move comment from that Sam was, Trotta. That was coming <laughs> next. Oh, I, I need to know about that. I have no idea what that's about. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, is we spent a lot of time in my facility talking about, you know, things that, that to most people are 
you know, the, the, they're just details that get lost in the shuffle. You know, where you position yourself, where you stand, where you observe somebody exercising. I promise I'm not moving around as frenetically as this uh, video screen up in the top right hand corner of my, of my picture shows. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty subtle, but the, there's enough delay that it's, it's bouncing around and making me look like I'm on something. So anyway, okay. hopefully that's not, that's not coming through on the video. But we spent a lot of time talking about intangibles in my, in my shop. I mean, I, I've listened to some of the stuff that you've talked about here recently with biomechanics and, you know, how little you talk about biomechanics, you know, in, in, your, in your business. It's definitely the underpinning of what we do. You have to know what you're looking for, but you got to be standing in the right dadgum spot in order to see it, you know. So we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, things like where to stand, where to put your hands, how to adjust the seat. And it all boils down to, you know, there's there's a way to go about things efficiently and directly. And, it, you know, if you're paying attention, it looks different. You know what I mean? And my biggest pet peeve, um, and, and I'm sure that you probably have some of this as well, is, you know, I'll go into fitness facilities when I travel and I'll, I'll watch what trainers do. I'll watch the body language and there's no communication of value in, in, in most of what I see. Now, there may be stuff that I don't see, but I see a lot of lost value. People are looking at the television, you know, they're checking their nails. My biggest pet peeve of all time is people looking at their cell phone while they're training a, training a client. That seems ever more, ever more present, yeah. you know? And it's funny too, because I always have my phone with me when I'm, when I'm training my folks. If I'm out on the gym and I'm working with somebody, I always have my phone, but it's there so I can take pictures, shoot videos, you know, show people a perspective of what they're doing that they, that they can't normally see. So, you know, there's just little interesting differences like that, but you got to communicate value to your folks. And there's a posture, a position, a way that you carry yourself that, um, that I think communicates value to people. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And you said one thing that I'd love to like just quickly comment on. I mean, with all the stuff that I've been doing in this group in Fitness Pro Mentors, I haven't been talking about exercise science much and biomechanics. And honestly, one of the reasons why, and I said this to one of my staff eight years ago, I've seen, like myself, many people, and I went through this, go through this rabbit hole of academic studying and spending a ton of money on education, which you do need to learn. You have to learn that stuff. But I've seen way too many trainers invest every dollar into education, but never at one time learning about professional development and how to talk to people and how to have a conversation and listen. And it, it's tough because you see this, this brilliant, I know so many people, and I know you do too, that are brilliant and could change someone's life absolutely, but they're relatively polarizing and neutral and have a hard time even just communicating, putting aside advertising or having to have a sales meeting or talking about you know long-term plans for a client. They just can't talk to anybody and they don't seem interested. And I think that there needs to, in my opinion, needs to be like this gap of uh, how do you be a professional and then how do you be a fitness professional? Because it, without both, it's tough to have the, the, uh, the feet on this career. Well, I think that's something, Brandon, that plagues, you know, medicine, physical therapy. I mean, I think everybody that works as a practitioner, there's such a, the more sophisticated the practice, the more time it takes to learn the nuts and bolts of how to practice it. And, you know, how to be a, how to be a good human gets pushed by the wayside, how to be a good business person, basic accounting principles. You kind of have to learn those things on your own, you know, and, and so I hear you 100 percent that uh, that that as as business owners and as people that are trying to cultivate a practice, you know, the, the intangibles that don't necessarily have to do 
with the nuts and bolts of the exercise are every bit as important. I think that's, I think that's a big point. Now, what was this thing that Sam Trotta, Sam Trotta was talking about with the don't screw the moving thing or whatever it was? What is that? It's, uh, I, I think it's important to clear this up because in today's society, you know, these, these, these phrases taken out of context can be, can be very, very misleading. <laughs> so the, I used to give a lecture for Tom uh, back in the day about the, uh, the mechanics of the, uh, of the pelvis and the lumbar spine and so on and so forth. And, and when I was in physical therapy school, that was a major, major area of specialty for me. I'm a board certified orthopedic physical therapist. Spinal rehab was a major focus of mine in school. So somehow I think just, you know, either, either I was pretty good at it or Tom just didn't want to talk about it. I wound up teaching the, uh, the, uh, the trunk and spine portion of the RTS mastery class. And we would talk about the sacroiliac joint. And the, I would always try and find ways to make dry commentary, you know, come alive. I mean, at the end of the day, as educators, we were entertainers, you know, and the more entertaining you were, you're in a lecture environment for eight to 10 hours. I mean, you, you got you to gotta spice it up at times. And so I love to find ways to combine words and say things that were borderline or wholly inappropriate, but yet still, you know, make a point that would, that would bring some stuff home. And there's this, at the time, it's probably different now, there was this, this dichotomy between what orthopedists would, would assign the motion abilities of the sacroiliac joint and then what osteopaths would, would say. You know, osteopaths had eight different axes and all mystical movements that the SI joint could make. And orthopedists were like, ah, it's a fixed bony union. It's like a suture in your skull. But yet an SI joint fusion involves screws. And so the, the phrase came about that, you know, well, you know, a good rule of thumb is, is if it doesn't move, you shouldn't screw it. So there you go. That's where that comes from. I like that. And I think that that does transfer. Generally. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I love it. I've, a friend of mine, uh, he's got a, a drum education company. He calls edutainment, uh, the education entertainment thing. And I think it goes a long way. And, uh, and our good for old, good friend, uh, past friend, Peter was someone I think that was, I mean, he was ridiculous at it. He could tell though. I, I mean, I've heard you tell some pretty so, solid, sour jokes that were okay, but he could tell some really bad stuff to people that wouldn't want to normally hear it and make them laugh. And that was edutainment for sure. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, there's. There's several of those stories that Peter told me that will forever be in the vault. They're. They're just. They're. They're from my. My consumption and my memory of, of my. Of my dear friend alone. Nobody else will get to get to partake in those. I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell one story about Peter. I've never told live, and I think it'll be hilarious. To anyone that actually listens to this. So uh, there was. I, I when he was teaching RTS in Toronto, uh, he would have me come and help assist for several of them, which was really an honor. I got to go through the class a bunch, and I got to talk to people, and I got to practice. Uh, communicating. And one day he was just like, he was in a cheeky mood. And so he had took his break and he went to the washroom and he came out of the washroom and he just looked at me and like, kind of did like a little smile and just went and pause. And I was like, what the heck? So he sits down, he starts teaching and my phone goes off and my phone and I open, it's a photo and it's a photo of his poop. <laughs> and, and I open it, and I look at him and he just stopped his class and just went, and it was just like, <laughs> and then the funny part about this, and I hope, uh, anyway, after this, this kind of went on a couple of times where it went back and forth. Um, after he passed, Sandra was going through his phone records and found all these photos of poop and was like, what is this all about? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, brilliant guy. There you go. <laughs> um, so, uh, Kevin, I had a few people ask me, um, jokingly but also seriously uh what are you secretly hiding from the world of exercise and fitness what are you up to what are you excited about 
Uh, what am I secretly hiding? Uh, I'm not secretly hiding anything that you can't see through my giant office window. There's no, there's no secrets here. You know, um, I, I think Brandon, I think it, it, if I was going to answer that question seriously and try and throw some meat and potatoes at, 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 a, at a genuine question, uh, perspective, I think is the, is the, is the thing that I've gained over the last 10 years that I really haven't shared with anybody. Um, I think that the, a variety of experiences and, and client situations, some litigation, you know, some, some relationships that have changed have really have worked to shape my perspective. I think I've got a pretty good understanding of what's valuable and not valuable when you're dealing with people. You know, it's no secret that we all participated in a, in a, in a tool at one point in time that we, we thought functioned a particular way. And, and my own journey through understanding pain science and what the value in certain manual therapies is and what the value, you know, where there isn't value um, is pretty huge. And I think there's a lot of people out there now that are wielding a, a, a set of techniques, whether it's MAT or ART or whatever they're doing, and they, they just don't really know how to wield those things. And I think that there's a, a tremendous amount of benefit, you know, possible but that benefit's not going to be found where some of the, the purveyors of these techniques say it is. And so having perspective and being able to strip away the things that aren't valuable and retain the things that are, uh, I think is, has become my recent superpower, you know? So that's the thing that right now I'm keeping it to myself and, uh, you know, Charlie and I are, you know, kind of kicking some ideas around for, um, for having a course where we might uh, delve into that. And I think, you know, you're going to have Charlie on here in another month to talk to him about, I mean, the guy, the guy is just a, he, he, he's such an asset to have as a, as a friend and as an educator. Um, and there's a lot to what, what he's been doing um, and a lot of nuance to it that I think can bring a lot of value to the exercise profession and to physical therapy uh, moving forward. So perspective is my one word answer to that, to, to that, to that pithy question. Love it. I love it. But somehow you managed to take that one word and make it this big, long run on sentence. So your humility is continuing to I'm just kidding. That was very valuable. Thank you so much. I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's no punctuation in the spoken word, brother. You don't know how I would have broken that sentence up. Um, yeah, and I'm excited for, Charlie was telling me a little bit about it, and I'm excited. Um, he's been doing a lot on, if you're listening to this now or in the future, uh, Charlie McMillan has been posting some incredible stuff on the history of manual muscle testing. I think there's some really cool stuff there because you can learn a lot about uh, the providence of putting your hands on someone and some of the assessment tools and how things have changed from something like a polio pandemic all the way to how it's interpreted now. So uh, I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. Excellent. So I got one last question, and it's actually a serious one, but it's a different, different temperature. And I actually thought about it just when I was walking up the stairs to this office. Um, I know from taking courses with you, when you've taught exercise things, you've been a purveyor of getting people to really think about, at least in the context of a specific course, small individual pieces of the body, focusing on small movements, control, small details, and just getting an idea of how it feels and how it feels to move this thing. And when you lift your leg, does your back come off the ground? And what do you think about that? And then that's really interesting. Lateral to that, you're also in pretty remarkable shape. Like you've put some muscle on your body. You've clearly invested the time to doing some form of bodybuilding hypertrophy training. And I'm just curious because it's, I always find this interesting with someone like yourself. Yeah. Jack, man, huge. Right. But <laughs> I'm always interested. I mean, that uh, the continuum of like that super small internal focused intention based contraction 
to hypertrophy training, um, I think I've, I've seen people online take that perspective that we taught at RTS and go way too far with it into bodybuilding. And in my opinion, I don't think you can train like that 100% to achieve maximal adaptation, but that's just my thought. I'm just curious, I mean, that small detail stuff, how much of that uh, shows up in your actual personal exercise practice, your own like exercising? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a really good question. I would say a lot of it shows up in my personal exercise practice, but I also, you know, I, I, that's not how I train personally all the time by any stretch of the imagination. So what you're thinking, I think what you're speaking directly to is these postural stabilization exercises that I used to teach as part of the, uh, the, the trunk and spine class that I taught with Tom. You know, I think that's a really interesting point, and I think that's something that people do miss a lot, miss, misinterpret, misappropriate in the fitness industry a ton. You know, the, the whole lecture series that I did as part of the RTS deal was to basically show people that in order to get a particular set of exercises to do what they were supposed to, that was the type of control and detail that you had to employ. And remember, there's a tremendous amount of backstory to that, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of just, you know, ramble on here for a minute because I think there's, there's some, some significant value there. When you're attempting to try and compensate with musculature for altered, deteriorated spinal structure, then the impetus of the exercise has to be maintaining a static spinal position because that's what you're endeavoring to do is to train musculature how to control segments in ways that ligaments and bone can no longer do. And the exercise industry tends to take things from physical therapy and misapply them. And that was one thing that is drastically misapplied. Stabilization training is about trying to create a static, stable spine and then do things to perturb that stable position. And the training benefit is the challenge to the musculature to maintain that stable spine. Stabilization training was never meant to be keeping your keeping your ass on a on a ball. It was never meant to be a circus act, you know, where you got one foot on a wobble board and you're you know pulling on a band with your other hand and you're holding a kettlebell between your cheeks. That's not true spinal stabilization training. So the level of detail that you're talking about does permeate everything I do personally and with my clients. But if I'm out there, you know, I still like to squat, I still like to deadlift, and even though there's probably more control in the way that I approach those exercises, I'm a little bit more uh, obsessive compulsive about maintaining certain positions. Yeah, that, that, that nuance level of detail doesn't, doesn't fit, doesn't apply all the time. And, you know, I, I'm still an athlete in certain respects, so I still like to train with speed at times too, you know. At least once a week, I've got somebody trying to twist my head off on a jiu-jitsu mat. So there's, there's things that I do that, that revolve around speed. And anytime you're trying to move fast, you have to give up some some elements of, of that that pinpoint control. Does that make any sense? Hundred percent. I love. I'm I'm so glad. I help people like re-listen to that portion because I think that of the stuff that we learned through Tom, uh, he's. I think it's a ridiculously great program to this point as far as technical exercise. I think it's a great foundation for people to explore, and I'm looking forward to seeing what other stuff comes in that same vein. But a lot of people I know who take that, they come out of that program, and no matter the type of athlete they are, whether they're speed, hypertrophy, strength, they all start training super slow and just focusing on squeezing every single joint system as if that is the be-all, end-all for the particular adaptation they're looking for. So I think what you're saying I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you're a jiu-jitsu athlete. You need some speed. You like to train and lift and try and grow some muscle. There's control there, but you're not hyper-focused in the same way that you are with the stability exercise. 
Um, I think that's an important separation. And I'm not sure, again, kind of coming back almost similar to the professional thing we talked about. I think there's some personal exploration that's required for people to figure out um, what type of training they should be doing for the particular things they're looking for. And then lateral to that, um, what they're going to do with their clients. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I remember that the, the whole idea of, of, in my mind, the, 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 the thing we're trying to illustrate is that there's a gigantic spectrum from, you know, this little tiny nuanced thing where you're trying to maintain one static position, you know, for, for as long as you possibly can to literally letting all that go and just moving from point A to point B with as much load as you can. There's, there's a spectrum that exists in everything. I think as, as trainers, people are moving so fast and so recklessly and they're so out of control most of the time that, that we didn't get stuck in that bias of slowing people down, you know, making, making people pay more attention to individual parts. But, you know, I've always taught in my classes that at some point in time, you're going to have to, you're going to have to speed it up. You're going to have to let some of this stuff go, you know, but at the end of the day, if you watch me do a set of dumbbell presses, you know, there's not a lot moving other than my glenohumeral joint as, as I do a set of dumbbell presses. So, you know, there's a difference between compensation. There's a difference, you know, accelerating loads, but it's a gigantic spectrum. And I think you've got to explore both personally and with your folks you know, what, what's it at either end of that spectrum or, or the broadest range of it that's safe for you or for the individual, for sure. Kevin, man, listen, I think this is a good spot to put a pin in today. And I just wanted to seriously thank you. I know how busy you are. I know how many things you're juggling. Um, I just wanted to thank you so much for your time, uh, your influence on me personally. But at the same time, I mean, people who've met you, know you, and have seen your influence, um, you are, you know, a perfect example of a nomadic, in my opinion, a professional that's influencing <laughs> everybody. You're working behind the scenes, but you're making things happen. And I encourage anyone that sees this and listens to this, check out Inertia Fitness and check out anything you're up to because you're brilliant. And honestly, I said this to Charlie and I said it to my wife last night. You're one of the few people I wish I could be around a little bit more because just you're, well, you're arrogant, but you're good. <laughs> no, you're it's awesome. Not, it's, uh, you know, the, the funny thing, the last thing I'll say is, is that I have no shortage of self-confidence, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty easy guy, I think, to get along with, you know, I, I just I'm here to have a good time, man. So anytime you want to you want to tread southward, I mean, I, I think the border's open now. I think I think we'll let Canadians in uh, to the country. So, you know, anytime you want to come down and hang out with me more, we'll, we'll challenge that theory and, and, and see what your breaking point is. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And looking forward to seeing what you and Charlie come up with. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for having me on, Brandon. Good luck to you. Thank you.